and welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Haunts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. This is a show for anyone who has a product or business idea and wants to go full-time on it eventually, or maybe you already have. This is a show about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and anything in between. In this episode, we're going to be interviewing Todd Gardner, who is the co-founder of a company called TrackJS. Okay. Hello again, everyone. I'm here at NDC, Minnesota. So I'm quite far from home at another conference, and I'm joined by my guest today, Mr. Todd Gardner, who is the founder of a company called TrackJS. So how are you doing, Todd? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing the interview. Thanks for coming to my hometown, Minnesota, frozen north of America. I was expecting the weather to be a lot harsher than what it was when I got here. <laughs> I, 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 well, I saw on Twitter you posted some quite extreme snow shots. Yeah, well, we got snow like three weeks ago, so it's finally warmed up. It's not so bad in May. May is pretty nice. Yeah, it was, I had a spare day just to go and walk around yesterday, and it was it was quite hot. Yeah, glad you liked it. Good. So um, on this podcast, what we like to do is um, sort of talk to founders of businesses and sort of look at their sort of journey and their story, and you know sort of see how you got to do what you're doing now. So do you want to tell us a bit about your sort of your story and what it is you do and how we got here? Sure. So I'm a software developer by trade. Uh, I've worked in computers and, and technology for. Oh man, uh, almost 15 years, I think, at this point. Um, longer than 15 years, if you count during college. Uh, and I worked for you know a, uh, an IT shop for a while. I, I managed servers. I worked in architecture. I transitioned to software development. Uh, kind of along the way, I decided I wanted to become a consultant. Uh, in the current market that I'm in, a lot of the senior developers kind of turn become independent consultants and work for okay. other companies in the area. Uh, and after I did that for a couple of years, I started uh, a software company with uh, a couple of friends of mine from the consulting world uh, where we specifically help uh, companies understand JavaScript errors from their production environment, so errors in their websites okay. as the users are using them. And so that was kind of the first you know, non-consulting company that you know, was successful that I've been a part of. Uh, I'd started a few other like side hustles that never really got off the ground and nobody really knows anything about them. But yeah. TrackJS was the first We've thing. We've all been there. <laughs> TrackJS was the first thing that, that kind of succeeded, um, and uh, we we bootstrapped it up, um, just moonlighting during our jobs until it finally took over our jobs, and we stopped consulting on the side. So, how long was you running it as a kind of a side hustle before you sort of took the plunge and committed to it full time? Quite a while, years, um, and in fact, it's it's been a progression because I didn't do it by myself. Uh, so, when we first started TrackJS, it must have been. 2012, I think. Um, I was at a local uh, a conference here in Minnesota called Minibar, and Minibar is like an unconference kind of startup technology focused. Uh, and I'd pitched a couple of friends of mine that like, hey, you know, we we keep working for these different companies in the area, uh, and we're building these giant JavaScript apps because that was you know what was really hot at the time in yeah. 2012 was everybody was rebuilding their old apps in Backbone and Knockout and Angular One. Um, but they were all breaking. All these apps were like fragile and we needed to build error monitoring capabilities inside of them. And so we all built um, tooling like this um, to track and capture errors within our consulting gigs. And we'd done it like two or three times. And so I had pitched my, my what would be go on to become my co-founders uh, at this conference. Like, hey, what if we just like 
built this one thing one time and then we could like sell it to all of our clients as like a value add kind of thing yeah which is how we thought about it at the time was like oh we'll just we'll still be consulting but we'll have this other side revenue stream or whatever and they really liked the idea and so we uh we kind of like split out and and uh what turned out to be like my my main partner on, on track jazz he called me actually on the way home from the conference like he i was commuting home and he called me up like 10 minutes, 15 minutes after I'd seen him. Uh, and he was, had been working on his own startup at the time. And he's like, dude, I am so excited about this idea. This is a winner. Like, let's do this. And so that was that was a, a real boost of confidence. And he was so excited cool. about this idea. So we, uh, we kind of went off and um, did kind of like some nights and weekends hackathons. Like we'd meet up at a bar, or we'd meet up at somebody's office or house or whatever. And just kind of work a couple hours in the night or spend a weekend, whatever. And we were trying to get to a point where we could have a demo, like just a product that we could show people. And uh, we leveraged our community here, uh, went to the local JavaScript user group and said, hey, you know, we have this idea, we'd like to bring a demo and show show everybody. Okay. And so that kind of gave us a deadline um, of like, I think it was two months out from where we were at that point of like, in two months, have a demo that we could bring in. So. We were kind of working to that point. Um, so we had this like duct tape and chicken wire idea of a, of a demo. It barely worked in Chrome and it really only captured like two different kinds of errors. But it was enough that we could go, we could show the thing off. And uh, what turned into like our first customer was in the room at that at that point. They, oh, right. okay. they, they were like, they were so enthused with the idea that the, afterwards they're like, can I sign up for this? And it was foolish of us to say no at the time because we should have just taken their money and been like, yes, well, we'll make this work. But uh, instead we were like, well, no, this is only like very fragile demo at this point, but let's let's keep talking. Okay. Uh, but that's what kind of gave gave the idea traction. And they're a, they a customer to this day? Uh, I believe so, yeah, yeah. Uh, they've been acquired a few times. So the company at the time was, a, was another startup in the area called Docalytics. Um, and they were like a, uh, a marketing automation or a marketing analytics company for like PDF documents. So you could get like heat tracking on where people are reading your PDFs. Okay. And they got bought by Contently, I think, um, which they are still using it, but the people we are interacting with have, have since moved on to other companies. Right, okay. So how long did it take you then to go from the point where you got this kind of sort of rough proof of concept demo to actually taking on your first real paying customer? That took longer than it should have um, because of our own stupidity, basically. Right. Uh, so we gave this demo in, I think, July of 2012. And we launched the first beta of, of a working product in October. Okay. So it went from... Um, from duct tape and chicken wire demo to like something that somebody could actually kind of maybe use in what's that three months yeah um, but it wasn't really good at that point like what's the old adage if like if you're not embarrassed by the code you ship you waited too long right yeah uh, I've heard that before and so we were, we were definitely embarrassed by this code it was running on uh, on Eric my partner's uh, computer in his house under his desk and it was just it was um it was a Windows box running SQL Server and ASP MVC, and like once our first customer had like a real issue, like the box just melted, like it just couldn't <laughs> handle anything. Um, 
So we only had a, had a handful, I think we had six beta users. Um, the biggest of them being Major League Soccer, which for some reason decided they wanted to like sign on with us, which was wild at the time. Uh, but it was six users uh, and we kind of like worked through the issues um, of, of the initial platform from then until about January, where it was just those six people and new people couldn't sign up. It was just, it was just them. Um, and we were all working full time during this point. So this, mm. this was support like best effort nights and weekends. Occasionally we'd step, if something was like terrible happening, we'd step out of our jobs and like go and handle it. But right. that was definitely the exception, not the rule. Um, it wasn't until the following January. So like another four months after we had our beta that, uh, a friend of mine who's been a, a fantastic advisor along the way named Mark Grabansky. Uh, he runs a service called Frontend Masters, which mm. is like an online training company for web development stuff. Um, had a meeting with him, and he's like, "Dude, why why aren't you charging for this? Like, this is super valuable with mm. what you already have. Like, I know it's not done, but like, you don't know what's important until you start charging money because you're right now you're just giving this thing away to anybody who will use it, and you don't know what's where value is actually being created. Okay, and." He told me that, and then we went to one of our other customers who was in beta, uh, this uh, Docolytics, and Docolytics told us the same thing. They're like, dude, this is super valuable for us. I want to be a customer. And he, he wrote me a check like, on the spot. Uh, the CEO, Evan Carruthers, he like he put that, pulled out his checkbook and he wrote me a check for the first month of service. He's like, here, I know you can't even take a credit card yet, but like, here. And so that was like the first paying customer was like kind of being forced upon us by our advisors. Okay. Um, we spent a couple of months after that, probably through, it was probably another three months, just to figure out the business side of TrackJS. Like we had a product, but like we didn't have any concept of a subscription or like a payment. Uh, we didn't know how to take credit cards. We had to learn how to do all of that sort of stuff. And that right. took us, <laughs> it took us a long time to figure all that stuff out. Um, so it was probably the following March or April of 2013 that we actually like could take a credit card and we opened up our service um, to be more public and did a big launch. Uh, spent a lot of time like kind of planning like who we were going to talk to, um, how we were going to announce it, and we were fortunate enough that we actually got on the front page of Hacker News the day we released, okay. which was which was really cool and it brought in a, a big influx of, of new customers to pay us and kind of like got us off the ground. So was that just based on a post that you put on Hacker News and then it just kind of went viral? It did. Um, it did, like it wasn't by accident though. Like I spent a lot of time researching how to do well on Hacker News because right. that was one of the things I wanted to, to focus on. I put it in a, in a bunch of different places and it did well in a few of them, but nothing quite as good as number one on Hacker News. Um, and I don't know if it still works like this, but um, uh, I published, I, I looked at the tech calendars of like, you know, what are announcements. I wanted to make sure I was going to release on a quiet day. You don't want to release on like the yeah. day Google's going to do something because you're going to get drowned out. Yeah. So I found a quiet day where I didn't think anything was going to happen. It was like a Thursday, I think. And we wrote up a big blog post about it. And at like 8 a.m. on that Thursday, I submitted it to Hacker News. And then I emailed a big list of people, like everybody who'd signed up for our beta, every like all my you know friends and colleagues at the time who were supporting mm. us. And um, what I'd read was that you can't link directly to a Hacker News article because the upvotes don't count as much if they right. think you're boosting. Okay. 
Uh, and so I was just like, hey, like, can you all just go to this page, which is just like the newest? And like, upvote, we did, we, we did, we launched, we did an announcement, check us out. And I think that worked because it got us at least enough initial inertia of like those first 10 or 20 upvotes that looked organic okay. to get us onto the front page. And then our content kind of took us up from there because we were the really the first service to do kind of what we're doing, which is like a holistic analytics kind of perspective to understanding production JavaScript errors. Okay. So just for any of the listeners who might not have come across Hacker News, it's a site where you post links to web articles. Yeah. And then if people like them, they can upvote or, or downvote or the downvote articles. Or downvote or leave comments. Which it's basically means all, all of the popular stuff sort of floats to the top and any noise kind of just drifts down to the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Um, it definitely has its biases. It's very, it's very tied to like funded startups. Uh, it's run by... Um, Oh, what's the big one? The big startup oh, uh, school. Y Combinator. Yeah, it's run by Y yeah. Combinator. Um, and so it's definitely got its ba like biases on what they like and what they don't like. And they'll crap all certain ideas that maybe aren't deserving. But for what it was, it was really the only thing kind of in that 2013 time frame. It was probably the biggest space to launch something like this. Oh, okay. So you, you say that gave you your initial momentum then, so it actually brought in a good level of paying customers. Yeah, it, it got us that first, um, I, think it, I think from that push, we landed a couple hundred active trials of people using the account. Okay. Now they weren't paying us yet, they were in a free trial period. Um, but from that couple hundred, we got, you know, 10 or 20 signups of like people who actually then paid us. Yeah, so that's pretty good conversion rate yeah, actually. Yeah, it, it was. Um, and, and so it was that that juice of money which kind of got us over the point of like, hey, at least we're like we're not paying ourselves, but at least we're cash flow positive. We don't hmm. we're not paying into the service anymore. We're still giving our time away, but um, at least we could continue running this thing kind of indefinitely as long as we're interested in it. So at that point, are you still consulting? Yeah, everybody yeah. everybody was still consulting full time at that point. Right. Um, it was actually at that point that we thought, hey, maybe we should go and look at venture capital. Like we have. Um, I think what we had like 25 or 30 customers at that point um, and we had an idea and we had like our basic marketing materials and like what we were going to do and so we we worked our networks and we got uh, invitations to do a couple of pitches at some venture capitalists here in the uh, Minneapolis St. Paul area and uh, we did them and we kind of got the same story from all three meetings right. which was um, hey, this is a really cool idea you guys have. Uh, I think this could make some money. I'm just not sure if it can make enough money that we would get involved in it. Right. <laughs> and so I want you all to go out and like get to $10,000 in monthly recurring revenue. And once you get to that point, come back and see us and we'll see what we can do. Um, and so in, in not so many words, we heard that story from all three VCs we talked to. Okay. Which was a little, frankly, a little disappointing because we... We had never gotten to that point in, in a company that we'd worked on before. So, so, was, so was you going for a full VC, like first round funding, or was you going for seed funding? Yeah, we were just going for seed funding. Okay. Um, so like hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, kind of so enough that like we would start talking about like quitting our consulting jobs and mm. like working on it full time is what we were looking for. Um, and it's just like the the VCs that we talked to just weren't interested in really doing that at the time, which was which was pretty disheartening. Um, 
we hadn't never pitched a VC before this episode. And so we had like these, you know, unicorn dreams of walking in with a check uh, for a million dollars and hockey stick growth and yachts and all that sort of stuff, which is clearly all fiction and doesn't happen, uh, at least to most of us. Um, so we walked away from that and we debated like, well, do we really want to do this? We're not going to get funding. Hmm. Um, it was a little, it was kind of a dark period for us. Um, but growth continued kind of as we just kind of left it run. Uh, people were finding the service useful and uh, we kind of came back together and we seeing, seeing the growth that our, our product was experiencing and thinking, well, maybe let's just try. Let's, let's see how far we can get with this. Right. And so we kept working on features. Um, we spent a lot of time on that first, that first year after charging just building another feature. Like we always thought like, oh, we just need you know, one more feature to like get the product off the ground and, and that'll cause like large scale adoption. Yeah. And that never happened. It was never that one more feature. Like it always made the product a little bit more useful, but it, it never really fundamentally changed growth. Um, it was around the end of that year when uh, we kind of realized as a company that, you know, we were three developers working on this and nobody working on anything else. Hmm. Like we were just developing and then developing and then developing some more. And what we needed to do was we needed to market and promote it. We needed to like get out to conferences and write blog posts and do advertising. Always, always the hardest part is marketing social promotion. networking and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, of the three of us, I probably had the most uh, experience doing that sort of stuff. Uh, I'd been speaking at conferences for a number of years and um, I'd been pretty active in that sort of scene. And so that kind of became my job. I, I took a step back from most of the development efforts. Um, I still do some to this day, but it's not my primary responsibility anymore. Okay. My primary responsibility shifted into this marketing, advocacy, uh, sales kind of, you know, as much as we actually do sales, um, customer support, all of those other things. So you basically become the mouthpiece of the company. I, yeah, I became yeah. the mouthpiece of the company. And that's when our growth really kind of transforms. And, and things started looking up. It wasn't about a feature. It was like, we already had a bunch of great features. We could already do a bunch of stuff. We just needed to talk about it more okay. and like start honing our message. And we're still trying to learn how to do that in the best way to this day. Uh, but that's when growth really started picking up. And so it was a couple of months into that second year that we, we hit that $10,000 MRR mark. Oh, okay. And that was awesome. But at that point, we'd been, we'd been working together on this for a while, for, you know, if you count, like, as a, as a company, we've been working together for over a year. If you count since inception, it had been more like a year and a half or a year and three quarters, something yeah. like that. Um, and we'd hit this amazing milestone. And we're like, well, why do we need a venture capitalist now? Like, now we have money and we're actually, like, paying ourselves a little bit. Okay. Not, like, compensating you adequately for your time, but, like, we're kicking out, you know, a couple thousand dollars to each of us every month to be like, hey, here's... Just a little bit of money to, hmm. you know, help cover your living expenses or whatever. Um, and so that was great. That, we, we decided to just not do any VC thing at that point and just go it on our own and keep keep growing, keep doing what we were doing. I think that's probably a good thing because um, the, the company I worked at before I went to work for myself, they went down that whole VC route and they got VC funding mm -hmm. sort of via several rounds of seed funding. And then the people that fund the company end up putting... Um, people onto the board and then overnight just the entire dynamic of the company changed yeah. and 
it was a real shame because I felt it kind of destroyed the thing that made the company good. Yeah. In, with the people that work there. Yeah, absolutely. So whilst you know, I think it's everyone's kind of dream to get that VC funding. I actually think it's kind of a bit of a curse as well. Yeah, when you get that VC funding, you get you you're you're getting a boss, right? You have to deliver progress reports and and do all kinds of things that like. Some of them, like you should be doing anyway, but you, you just have to be much more formal about it than yeah. what you would have done otherwise. You know, that's, you know, there's no mistaking it. When a VC funder or a VC company funds you, they have a defined plan. Five to seven years, they want you to sell the company. Right. It's basically yeah, starting starting the stopwatch of like you have X many years to grow or die. They yeah. they give you a bunch of money. They want you to spend it. They want you to just dump it into marketing and product development and like. Uh, uh, business development and all those or other sort of things, and in some cases you'll spend it recklessly because of that, because of that pressure to grow. Um, and so, in some ways, like if you're working with a VC company, that's kind of scary because most of those companies that get to that point and are getting you know surged with money are going to fail. They're going to mm. like blow up at the end of that time frame. They're not going to reach that status that the VC needs. Yeah, I mean, the problem we had is we went from five developers to nearly 45 developers in about four months. Yeah. How do you manage that kind of level of growth so quickly? I mean, it was, it was my job to manage those people. I was, yeah. the, I was a development manager there. It was like, how the hell am I going to coordinate? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a tough job and it like totally yeah. changes the culture of the company and you just add overhead. Uh, we wrote a blog post about this like maybe last year or something like that about thriving small um, because it's something that we actually think is important to us. So today as a company, we're still three people. Hmm. Um, we use a, you know, a handful of outside contractors where we need some expertise and like it's, it's easy to work with. And a couple of them have been with us for a long time. Um, but the core team is still three people. And our revenue would totally suggest that we could hire a bunch of people, but we don't want to hire a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we don't want to change that dynamic of the company. Like right now, it's three people who work really, really well together and we have the shared common interest. Um, whereas if we bring in other people, they're never going to have that same level of accountability, right? Yeah. They're, they're going to be somebody who works there. They're not going to be one of the people who started it. Um, so we don't want to hire people because, uh, because they're never going to have that same level of accountability. It's going to create more risk of destroying this thing that we have, then I think there is upside in being able yeah. to go faster. Because for them, it's just a job. It's not. A, it's not their baby. It's not their vocation. Right. Is right. It? Yeah. You add people. You add overhead. You add different differing priorities. All those sort of things. And one of the things that I think has been a great advantage to us um, in competing with other people in our industry is that we have to be very laser focused with our priorities. Um, uh, we have a couple of different competitors who like raised a bunch of money and hired a bunch of staff hmm. and then proceeded to like rewrite their site in React for because React was cool or whatever. And like the site didn't fundamentally change but they like talked about it like oh how amazing it is. We simply can't afford the time to do that. And so it's just never been a priority for us. We've always been focused on a feature that will help a customer or be more transparent about billing or find a real issue or reduce noise or something that like we think is really, really important. We're always working on those most important things simply because we don't have time to work on other things. Yeah. And I think that has enabled us to go really fast in what's important and compete with companies that are many multiples of our size in our industry. 
So how did you um, go about setting the prices for the products? Did it require a lot of experimentation at different levels, or, <laughs> we, or did you just kind of we, we continue to experiment with it. Um, our pricing model started at, uh, we, we read a lot of the work from um, Patrick McKinsey, um, uh, who talks a lot about pricing like computer SaaS services, and I, I, many of your listeners are familiar with him. Um, he, he talks, he has a couple of talks about pricing. Um, one of the things that we wanted wanted to do is make sure that we're pricing it in a point where the developers who we wanted to talk to could purchase it. Yeah. Like we didn't want this to necessarily be have to be escalated up the chain. We never really positioned ourselves as like an enterprise tool because you know targeting enterprises is a harder affair. You need to have like a sales team and account managers yeah. and deal with like quoting and all that sort of stuff. Um, we were more targeting like small to medium businesses uh, and tar- talking to developers themselves and letting a developer um, be kind of our advocate, our champion in the company. So we yeah. could talk to a developer and then price our service at a point where that developer probably has purchasing authority or their manager has purchasing authority. Okay. So we started our prices at $30 a month, $100 a month, and $250 a month. Uh, kind of targeting like, these are probably common pricing purposes or uh, pricing levels that a developer would have the authority to just put on their credit card right. uh, based on some internet research. And those have uh, those lasted for a long time. Uh, we would play with like what we give them for those price points. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes we'd give them a little bit more or we'd change, give it a little bit less. But we like those price points. Um, maybe a year ago, a little over a year ago, we, we made our change from that and we actually increased our low end plan from $30 to $50 and decreased the top plan from $250 to $200 um, kind of for similar reasons. Um, the low-end plan, what we found was that there was a lot of people who would complain that $30 was too much, and then the same people that would complain that $30 was too much were also the hardest customers to work with. Like, they were the most needy, they were the most demanding of our time. Um, th- they would churn over, they would quit, like, super fast. Um, they just weren't we spend way more time on them than, than what they were worth to us. And so we kind of raised the prices just to be like, well, $30 was too much. Let's just keep going up. We don't want you as customers. You guys yeah. can go to the other companies that have really low-end plans and free services um, because we don't want to deal with you. So we brought it up to 50 and we actually lowered what you got out of it even below that because we were really trying to push people up to $100 a month, okay. which is really kind of our sweet spot. We want people to pay us $100 a month. And then at the top end, we found that like, some people like it was that difference between 100 and 100 or 200 and 250 was really a hard line for a lot of people to cross. Okay, just mentally, um, and so we lowered the plan down to 199 so that they could get in there easier. And we actually have a bunch of stuff over that that we never really published before. But now you can actually see that like as you go over certain levels of usage, uh, there's you know 299 and 399 and 499 a month. Okay, um, so you don't, you, don't, you don't actually advertise those ones, but if you start to hit those thresholds... Yeah, like if you start using our service and then you've sent us that much traffic, then you start seeing that. Like, oh, hey, you're not, you know, at the level where you should be paying us $50 a month anymore. You are this giant company. You yeah. should really be paying us, like, a lot. How does that conversation normally go with the companies? Are they okay with that? Um, yes and no. Mo- most of them are, are pretty cool. Um, we've added some constraints in it now, so, like... 
We've always had a free trial. We think it's important for developers to be able to come in and play with something and see what it's really like before we demand anything of them. So we have a free 30-day trial, you come in and play. And then what that also gives us is a good idea of how big this customer is. So at the end of 30 days, when we hit this point where it's time to pay for a subscription, we take them to this page where um, they select their plan. And based on what we've already done, they might just not be able to sign up for $50 anymore. If they really think they want to sign up for $50, there's a button they can click and contact us about it and we'll yeah. work something out. Um, but purely based on if you're over those thresholds, you can't sign up for those plans. And the higher plans show up. Now, things change over time. And so like once a quarter, we get this big report that gets dumped out where we're like, hey, here's everybody who's like, it's time to upgrade. And so there's emails that go out about like, hey, it's time to upgrade to the next plan. You know, here's, here's the options available. And sometimes they don't want to do it. Sometimes they like ignore us and that sucks because then we have to like be jerks and like lock accounts. Right. Um, more often they're just like, cool, thanks for the opportunity. We'll upgrade, cool, that's awesome. And other times they're like, no, we don't want to pay that much. We'll reduce our usage. And okay. then they fall off the back. Is and it, some people just like, oh, I forgot we were still paying for it and they quit. Right. Which is always like the threat of like, you know, if people are paying for you and you forgot, they forgot about it. You don't want to rock the boat too much as far as revenue, but at the same time, if they're using too much, it's time to force the issue. But they have the ability to negotiate as well. We do a little bit. Really, for the highest end plans, we'll do yeah. some negotiation. Um, if you're talking to us about $100 a month and you come back and say, that's too much, it's like, no. Yeah. Like I, Honestly, at $100 a month, it's hard to spend the time to build a one-off plan for somebody just because like that's going to come down come back at you later and bite you hmm. it's going to be like this weird one-off at a low-end plan for somebody who's probably going to stick with you for a while but not forever and you just got to kind of judge the roi on building it. if you build custom for everybody you're going to spend your entire time managing all these custom plans um, and so we usually put thresholds on it. Like if you want to pay us more than $200 a month, yeah, we'll work something custom out. Okay. If you only want to pay us $100 a month, sorry, like we just can't. I can't afford the administrative overhead to build something custom for everybody. Right. It's interesting what you're saying about um, reducing the lower price to try and get rid of the sort of the higher maintenance customers. Yeah. Because uh, my um, partner on the podcast, Kevin, he runs a software as a service. Um, system called Steel Beam Calculator and Timber okay. Beam Calculator. It's kind of aimed at structural engineers who are putting like s support joists into buildings. Okay. It calculates all of the, I don't know the technical terms. <laughs> he's he's, he's going to listen to his back and then they'll have a go at me. <laughs> but he, he was saying he had a similar problem about um, having to kind of filter out the real high maintenance customers who aren't paying very much money but just demand yeah. lots and lots of your time and support. Yeah. The first time we did, we kind of did that was when we launched that first year, we had a free plan that had like really low limits. And we did it just because, I don't know, we didn't really think about it. We're like, a lot of tools have free plans. Yeah. So we had a low limit and we had some, you know, teasers to get people to upgrade. And we ran that for like a year. And at the end of the year, we looked back at it and we're like, all right, here's all the people who use free plans. How many of them have upgraded? One. Okay. One person upgraded in a year from a free plan to a, to a, a paid plan. And then we looked at our support burden and free plans used more than average, more than anything else as far as support requests. Um, and they were almost always over their limits. So they abused the system, they demanded a lot, and they never really upgraded. Right. And so we're like, why are we doing this? Like, 
um, we, we still wanted to support the community and so we still retain a free plan for uh, charitable and open source projects. Right. But you actually have to email us at this point. Like you don't, we don't just give that away to anybody. And so like if you're a nonprofit, they'll be like, cool. If you're a little nonprofit, awesome. If you're like the Red Cross, no, you're, we'll give you a discount, but you're still going to pay because yeah. like, you're huge. It's quite interesting because on, you know, on one hand, it kind of makes sense that you'd offer a free plan just to the single developer who wants to try it out. And that kind of makes sense. But yeah. then obviously when you look at the business side of it, I can completely see what you're saying, that they're actually very high maintenance yeah. to deal with and they're not actually making you any money. So from a business perspective, it, it makes complete sense to cut them loose. Yeah, and, and so it depends on like how you want to structure your business. For larger companies who can afford to hire more support staff and are using it as like a marketing goodwill thing. Mm. Like I think that totally makes sense. But we we like staying small as I've, we've already talked about. Um, and so when we're supporting a free customer, it's not like we're supporting them using contract support, you know, low cost, something that we're paying for, it for with marketing dollars. No, yeah. we're using like one of the partners is spending their time and energy and attention looking at that, yeah. which is just very expensive. Like. We want the partners focusing on growing the business, growing the product line, growing our marketing, supporting customers, that sort of stuff. Not on like, not on wasting time on, on low end stuff that's not really ever gonna convert. Yeah. So are you, all three of you now at the point where you're working on it full time and sort of consulting has stopped? Yeah, as of this year. Um, so there's three partners on TrackJS and based on time commitments and, and when people, like how much everybody put into it when they joined, um, we own different like percentages of the company. Yeah. And so I owned the largest percentage. And so I went full-time first. I've been full-time for like three and a half, four years almost, I think, um, where I stopped consulting. Um, uh, Eric, my uh, closest partner on it, he's been full-time for I think two years now. Okay. Um, and then Jordan is going full-time this year. Um, and it was largely just a, a mechanism of um, when everybody felt comfortable doing it. Um, being that we all had our own businesses for consulting, mm. it was more of a trade-off of like, it wasn't just I'm full-time, I'm not full-time. It was full-time and then I work 30 hours contracting and then I work 20 hours contracting. And yeah. then I like contract a little bit on the side to like one-off gigs and advisory stuff and to nothing. Um, and so Jordan is making that final move and Eric and I are already done. Did all of you find it quite scary making that jump? Yes, all of us found it terrifying. That's, um, a, that's, that's a common thread of all the people I've interviewed on the podcast. It's always that, it's that, that, that point, where, even myself, that point where you think, right, I'm gonna commit. Yeah. And you make that jump. Yeah. Then you have suddenly all the anxieties and you're like, holy shit, am I doing the right thing? What if it fails? What yeah. am I gonna do in the future? I would say that we, we, are, we waited, all of us waited too long um, because we're very risk adverse. Um, all of us did pretty well in the consulting game uh, with our with our businesses, to the point where, for a long time, TrackJS had was doing well, and our consulting businesses were going well, and we were making two very good incomes each, um, and just squirreling money away because we all knew this was the, the goal was we're going to go out on our own, but. We were, in a way, we were building runway, but we weren't building runway in the company. We were building runway in ourselves because the company yeah. is set up basically where the company is, yeah, this might be off topic for this, but the company is a very thin shell. Um, it's just an LLC partnership that just dumps out money to the partners. It doesn't okay. pay payroll. We don't pay salary. 
It's just three of us. Sort of actually dividends. Yeah, we yeah. like at the end of the month, we're like, here's how much money we made. Here's how much money we're going to distribute. Here's everybody's ownership. Here you go. Okay. And so it's like 100% profit sharing. Um, and so there's very little money that gets kept in TrackJS. Uh, and so the runway we needed to build uh, was runway in ourselves. So right. that was where all of us were basically taking our this like a surplus from our double salaries and just building up a, a runway so that when it came time to like switch over and go to TrackJS full time, if there was a downturn in the business, which thankfully there hasn't been, but if there had, if there was a downturn, we would all have like savings to dip into yeah. and like continue, like push through and not be forced back into consulting right away. Cool. That sounds like you got a really good setup there. Well, I mean, it took six years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, saying about doing it as a partnership, I mean, because, I mean, the way I do is I run a limited liability company. So I, when I try and build runway up, I actually build it up inside the company because mm -hmm. I, f for me, it's not about making millions or anything like that, you know, although that'd be nice. We it, can all dream. It, it's about effectively buying freedom is the way yeah. I look at it. So, you know, I've had a taste of the good life, you know, I'm doing my own thing. So for me, the scariest thing to do would be to go back into full-time employment. Yeah. So that's kind of what I fear. So I spent a lot of time building runway up in the business, whereas you're kind of doing it a slightly different way, where it's, it's kind of like a cooperative, I guess, in a way. So you're, Kinda, yeah. you, know, you bring the money into the company, but then you immediately distribute it out. Yep. Yeah, and so yeah. the idea is that uh, TrackJS as an entity is fantastic, and, and we're solving a lot of problems for, for companies all over, but it's not going to last forever. Like something is going to happen in that marketplace. Um, either you know it's going to consolidate and somebody's going to win or it's going to like transition and not be as big of a problem but um, the team that we've built works really really well together hmm. and so we could see like going off and starting something else okay um easily or, or potentially another product under the track yeah another, yeah start start yeah. a different a different product under a different company banner and because we've set up the the structure of the company is so loose it enables us to to really change things really fast. Um, uh, it, it also is kind of a blocker to us taking venture capital at any point because the venture capitalist is never going to buy into this loosely structured company. Yeah. They would want us to like become a proper corporation. There's um, a really interesting book that, that we've discussed on the podcast before called Company of One. Yeah. Uh, is, it by, is it Paul Jarvis, I think the author is? I, I can't remember, I'll have to check that. Um, it, it's about um, not necessarily just being a company of one person, but it's about having a company and then growing it to the size that's big enough. So it's not necessarily trying to, you know, chase the big bucks. Yeah. It's like, you know, what do you determine to be big enough? And then just aiming for that and not necessarily worrying about growing any further. Yeah. Which kind of sounds like kind, yeah. of, kind of the philosophy that you've got. I mean, I'd love to grow farther, but like we've hit a point where it's, it's comfortable. Like everybody can, we can sustain ourselves. Um, I think we'd all like to be, I mean, we all have like our, our, our goals inside of the company to like get certain points in terms of like revenue and customers. But in terms of like size of the company and feel of the company, I think we're as big as we want to be. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's all I had to say about that. Cool, so <laughs> so knowing what you know now, if you just, you know, jump in your time machine and go back to the beginning, is there anything you do differently? Um, yes, there'd be a couple of things. I wouldn't have even bothered uh, with venture capital. I think there's way too much time and heartbreak mm. um, and frustration that was involved in that whole episode. Um, I think for our kind of business where it was, you know, we created value for every customer that landed on us, like 
we created value for for a cust for customer one. We created value for customer two. It didn't require any kind of network or marketplace effects. I don't know that you need VC for that. I don't know that it makes sense. Um, and so I think we wouldn't have spent any time on that at all. Um, something I think we did very very right was having partners. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people who who try and go off and start software businesses by themselves. And I think I, I don't know that I could do that. Um, it's just because there's so much. There's so much emotion and stress tied up with building something of your own yeah. that like you build something and somebody's not going to like it or you're going to have a bad month or life is going to happen and you're just stressed out because of other things going on in your life. And you need to be able to lean on other people to carry it through. There's so many times in the history of TrackJS where, where either Eric or I were just so burnt out or upset or stressed out in our lives that we were ready to walk away. But okay. having having somebody else, having another person to lean on and carry it forward, um, carry you over while um, carry you over while the other person needed to deal with life enabled us to go forward. And so I think it's especially important when you're moonlighting, when you're building something part-time, you need somebody to lean on. Yeah. And so um, to, to keep that vision alive while life throws shit at you. Excellent. I think those are the main topics. Yeah. Have a partner. Don't avoid chase, v, avoid don't VC. chase VCs. Don't chase VCs. When, when you're ready for VCs, the VCs will chase you. Yeah. And plus, uh, I'm sure you've seen the, the comedy show Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah. It, it's not that dissimilar from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that dissimilar from the truth. Yep. Absolutely. Great. Well, thanks a lot. That's a, been a fascinating story. So thanks so much I, for having if, me on. If people want to sort of catch up with you and sort of maybe reach out to you and yeah. check out your products, where can they reach you? Sure. So I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm at Todd H. Gardner. Um, if you want to do like a more like a non-public way, you can hit me up over email. I'm just Todd, T-O-D-D, at trackjs.com. Um, you can find out, out all about our product at trackjs.com. Sign up for a trial. Give it a, give it a go. Play with it. Um, I hope you do. We can help fix a lot of JavaScript bugs. Or if you just want to talk about JavaScript and startups and whatever, hit me up over email or Twitter. Great. And uh, you attend quite a lot of conferences as well. I have. Um, we didn't really talk about that, but I'm actually going to be ramping conferences down quite a bit in the future. Okay. Um, over the last couple of years, I've probably done like 10 of them a year. Right. And I think that's just been too hard on on me and my family trying to do that and juggle that with the business. Um, and it was great for marketing the business early on, but I think we've kind of hit a point where the stress doesn't, or the, the payout doesn't justify the stress. Right. Uh, so I'll probably be backing off of that a little bit in the next couple, couple of years. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I guess you're back on the stand for TrackJS at the conference. I'm back on the stand. Yeah, we're sponsoring uh, NDC Minnesota, and then I'll be on stage tonight for PubConf. I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm glad you are. Especially as I'm, I'm not actually speaking at this one, so I can actually sort of sit back and uh, yeah, you get to be like PubConf alumni it. and just yeah. like sit there and laugh at everybody being all stressed out. <laughs> Plus the challenge you set everyone sounds quite hard this time, so it I think is. I've had a lucky escape. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, I shall catch you around at the conference. Cool. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, everyone. So thanks to Todd for uh, that interview. It was a really interesting chat. Um, sort of looking at the evolution of his company. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of things he sort of said, I kept like nodding in agreement, you know, a lot of those things are so true, you know, that, that he mentions, you know, I don't know what, what yeah. you thought. I mean, as, as he was talking, I was actually thinking, you know, this is, obviously the, the products are different to what you're doing with still and Timber Beam Calculators, yeah. to what he's doing, but the actual kind of the business model kind of sounded very similar. Yeah, the, the sort of thing about pricing, he obviously said like the way that he pitched his pricing was kind of below enterprise pricing, which involves a lot of expense in terms of sale, you know, of, of having to make those sales. And then obviously you don't want to be at complete lower end as well because that's that's hard as well. They're in that nice sort of sort of pricing, aren't they, where it's that sort of middle ground, which is it's kind of a bit like base camp, they're in that kind of sort of pricing range. I think that's that's always good to be in mm. a good place to be, I think. It's interesting what they're saying as well about um, eliminating the free tier or the free version. Yeah, yeah. They said yeah, obviously the pricing, I mean that can you know, I think so pricing can dictate the kind of customer that you get, you know. So if you get rid of that lower end, you sometimes get rid of some of the more problematic um, customers as well. Yeah. Which is nice. no, I know you've mentioned about that before. I mean, was that an experience you had with Still Beam Calculator? Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, you tend to find that, um, not always, it's not always the case, but generally you tend to find that more people pay for a product, the, the better the, the customer yeah. generally in terms of, not always, that isn't always the case, but I think as a general rule that, that just does tend to ring true, I think. I guess it's people not, not putting actual value on something that's free. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah, there's a bit of that. It's tricky as well. I think sometimes, um, I think a lot of people are expecting, because they get kind of free things from like Google and Facebook, etc. they kind of expect that, you know, that they expect whatever you do is free and they expect amazing customer service and it just, you just can't do it, can you? It's Between just not, two or three people is kind of impossible to keep up yeah, with. Yeah, it's, it's very hard. I think it's good to be in that middle ground, that, 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 ring, that ring true in my experience as well. Yeah, the other bit I thought that Todd was saying was quite interesting is the way they actually sort of go about paying themselves. So effectively they do a direct profit share or profit split um, at the end of every month. Yeah. yeah which kind, kind of, of makes it a bit more like a cooperative in a way, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of like what, what me and Nick do with, with our various different businesses that we run together is, is very much the same process. Um, I guess then everyone's motivated to do well in that month because your earnings will be directly go up. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good incentive. Yeah, no, it works works out well. I think for, I think that's, that should be a good model, especially if you if you're starting out as a side project as well, because initially you'll probably be earning a salary elsewhere, and then you're doing a side project. So all the kind of the you're probably best to do like at least initially when you start is just have a simple process where the the profits just get divided equally amongst the the founders. Yeah, I guess if you get bigger at that point, then you can start. Switching over to more direct salaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think at the moment, because I still do a little bit of consultancy work, so my salary comes out of my consultancy business and we still just do... I think at some point that will probably will change, but at the moment that's how we how we function. It's sort of direct dividend-based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much to Todd for taking the time out. I mean, he was incredibly busy at the conference because TrackJS had a stand, had a, they had a oh, booth okay. oh, cool. at the yeah. conference. Yeah. So I managed to uh, pry Todd away from the, from the booth and the... Uh, sort of potential customers for an hour. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. Oh, cool. um, if you are a software developer um, and you do a lot of front-end JavaScript work, then please go and check out trackjs.com. It's getting some amazing traction at the moment. Yeah, yeah take a look. So, you know, get in touch with them. You know, talk to them about it. So, uh, yeah, so last month has been absolutely chaotic for me. I know, yeah. I know you've been out on the road a lot, haven't you? Or... Yeah, I'm, I'm getting to the end of it. So um, I was at NDC Minnesota where we recorded these interviews and then I was back for one or well, half a day back on the train down to London for a conference called Pluralsight Live, which is kind of a big sales event that Pluralsight okay, is yeah, yeah. But they had a thing called the Author Summit where they had like 70 different authors from around Europe oh, wow, kind okay, of get yeah. together just to strategize and you know, talk okay. about authoring. Yeah, yeah. Which was really good fun. And then I was back for like one day last week 
mini office today, which is a Monday, and then back off to another conference tomorrow yeah. on Tuesday. I think, I mean, we previously we did a, an episode on the digital minimalism, and it's sort of reading through that book has made me realise how important sort of real connections with real people mm. are, you know, in terms of getting that kind of social interaction. I think it's so important. I think, I was just saying to Steve before the episode, is that I've been, been on the phone more recently, probably about three hours a day on the phone to customers. And I think, you, you know, those kind of social interactions you get with customers, you know, it's just so, so crucial, you know. Do you, do you enjoy talking on the phone? Though? Yeah, no, I, I do. But I'm losing my voice, as you can tell, I'm losing my voice at the moment. So I don't think it's doing any good, but no, it's, it is, it is, it's tiring, but it, it's, it's worthwhile, I think, you know. Um, I, could, I, I, I couldn't do that. I hate being on the phone. I really, really hate. <laughs> I think you're you're a true developer, aren't you? Not, oh, yeah. not a, you're not a sales marketing person. So. No, definitely not. <laughs> no, I can, I can I can have to wear those hats. So I, I I don't mind. No, it's it's good to get those kind of interactions with customers. I don't think you can. I think in the long run, it's going to be a great great for the business. Yeah, I think generally I kind of lock myself <laughs> away in my my little cave here <laughs> okay. working. And then I go to conferences to you know mix with the general population a little bit. But for me, I mean, I've got the whole of June and half of July just here at home, you know, away away from conferences. So that's gonna be nice. Yeah, um, I, I sort, of, sort of tell you about some of the things we've been working on recently. Um, obviously, we launched and we're just about to launch. Hopefully, do it tonight. Touch wood. We're going to launch a new Flitchbeam calculator, which I think we've mentioned previously. I've been working oh, on cool. for a long time. It's been a lot more technically complicated than we thought. Um, so hopefully, that that'll be a milestone completed. So I'm relieved to get that out of the door. So that goes out today, which is. It probably won't. I'm going to hold you to account. Don't, don't, in case it doesn't, you know, hopefully tonight. It's Monday. What is it, Monday the... Yeah, so we won't say that it's Monday the 20th of May. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> if it goes on the 21st or, or sometime this week, you know, that's fine as well. But no, it'd be nice just to get... We're going to do like a soft launch, so we're just going to yeah. have it on the site so any people that will see it or our users it just happen to go onto the website that particular day using the product that day. Okay, I was about to say, this, um, this episode goes live on the 23rd, yeah. so you can have loads of people holding to account. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a good thing, that's a good thing. And then if <laughs> gradually we'll drip email out to our existing customers to tell them to launch this new beta, but it's going to be a beta product, so it's not the full version yet. Um, so does this basically mean you've got like a complementary suite of products <clears throat> across yeah, different yeah, types of things? Um, yeah, it's all, no, we're going to have like a complementary range of products. Um, they all kind of complement each other, it's really nice actually. I think eventually we'll have like a suite of possibly hundreds of tools you know eventually it could be like the um you know the tools for the internet you know yeah. for the whole it could be just not structural engineering it could be tools for everything that'd be quite nice to have the eventual goal to do something like that um we're just going to keep building out different tools and charge subscriptions for them so that's going to be our, our business model excellent okay well thanks a lot everyone um we're going to be back in a couple of weeks with another interview yeah so, um i've interviewed a guy called troy hunt whilst was at ndc minnesota so i guess a lot of our Listeners who are in the kind of the software development space, yeah, they're going to be yeah, familiar with Troy Hunt. Yeah, some, some great stuff there, yeah. He's got a really interesting story, some cool stuff that he shares. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks.